Thanks for tuning in again, everybody. We're back with your favorite podcast, Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze. Oh, my. Sure. Well, Luca Nation, we have, a, we have a very special Market Movers episode today. And, you know, Cage, right before this episode, you know, he asked, how did you and uh, Nick meet? Nick Sapero, right? Did I pronounce that right, Nick? You, you did, yes. And, and I always look for anomalies. And what I saw when I went to Nick's profile is this buttoned up, good looking chap with a shirt and tie. But then he also has two Jordan logo mans in his photos. And you know, it's, it's an anomaly. You don't always see these buttoned up players in uh, the sports card hobby. So I was curious. I was like, who is Nick? Uh, so truthfully, I'm really excited for this conversation because I love your collection. I love the cards you have. And then I did a little research and I saw you are uh, part of Heritage Auctions. And a part I, of that, I was was yeah and i want to hear more about you know it, it seems like you have been in this hobby for quite some time you are a collector you understand the buying and selling game you've been around for a minute if you could give us you know the two three minute kind of preview who is nick how did he get into the hobby and then we'll start to navigate it from there but i i know cage is really excited to have you on i'm really excited to have you on and uh, meet you today Sure. Yeah. I mean, a little tip, you know, just a little gist about me. Uh, you know, I've been in the hobby for about 20 years, you know, just collecting as a kid, you know, going to Walmart, going to Target, you know, ripping open packs, trying to just, you know, get get as much as you can. You know, as a kid, you just, you know, you're, you're going to the card aisle trying to find a treasure in there. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I went to Emory University and after I graduated, I was fortunate enough to land a job at Heritage. And uh, at the time, they were the world's largest uh, sports auction house. And uh, I was there for five years, uh, you know, getting to see some of the world's best collectibles, you know, the stories um, that, that you, you know, it's stories that you that belong on a TV show, pretty much you 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 come across, um, you come across 86 clear boxes on the floor of a house, you know, you're going through digging through a basement, and you're coming across, you know, thousands of dollars that in some cases, you know, these families don't even know that they have, you know, you're, you're, you're just providing so, so much, uh, you know, to this. Uh, and now what I do for, for work is I, I pretty much work for myself. So I advise, I broker and I, and I buy and sell uh, sports collections. So, um, so I ventured out on my own, which has been extremely rewarding. I'm pretty much doing the same thing, sourcing collections and trying to broker deals. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit different in the sense that you don't have, uh, you know, all the resources that the auction house provides because the auction house has been, you know, like Heritage has been around for a very long time. So they have a huge, you know, you're always sourcing calls at Heritage. So it, it's a little bit different, but it's still, you know, extremely fun. Heritage is constantly calling me saying, do you still <laughs> own this card you bought from us last year or two years ago? We want to put it in the auction, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they have it's their database. You know, yeah. they have, you know, they, it's, uh, which is interesting. So, I mean, before we, before we go on a little more, tell me a little more about that. Cause Andrew, I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm still in your follow up question. It's so, you know, you, you decided to go out on your own and source deals. You put buyers and sellers of cards together. I mean, how, talk a little bit about that. And then, you know, after you explain it, tell people who might be listening to this, who might have a collection, they might have something sitting in their basement. You know, they might have an uncle who just found the, the next black swamp find, you know, and sure. how to, how to get in touch with you, you know? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, so pretty much what I do is, you know, I'm, I'm always upfront and honest. You know, I love giving people information in terms of what, what the stuff is, you know, what the stuff is worth. That's, that's the biggest key is having, you know, instead of having a media area where an auction house is just trying to sell your, your, your material and pretty much tell you, Hey, it's worth, you know, it's worth $50,000 and they probably know it's probably not going to sell for that. They just want to sell the item. Like I, I'm just a, a third party that in most cases, my advice is hundred percent free. If you want my opinion, I get plenty of guys that, you know, contact me and they're like, Hey, what do you think this is worth? And I'll give them my honest answer. If they don't agree, they don't agree, but that's, you know, at least it'll give them a basis to, to what it's worth. Um, and, you know, once, once I do find stuff, there's plenty of guys out there that they don't, they don't really want to go searching for the material. So they don't want to, you know, be trolling on eBay or, you know, going through the auction sites. They just want the material. They just want to know, Hey, if you find this card, let's say it's an impossible card. If you ever come across it, you know who to contact once, once I get a hold of that. So I have, you know, kind of my guys that I know, Hey, you know, if, if it's this deal, I could go to this guy and, you know, facilitate it that way instead of, you know, the mediary channels of the auction house. So it's, you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and in a way it saves a lot of people money because, you know, the auction houses do charge quite a premium for, um, you know, for, for their services as well. It's interesting. It's almost like middlemaning, right? So, I mean, you it's, know, a successful real estate brokerage, you've built up a book of, of clients there. I'm not saying you took the client from Heritage. I'm not <laughs> trying to get you in trouble. But, you know, obviously you have a skill set that you took away from there. People know about it. And, you know, it's if I were to tell you, hey, you know, Nick, I need you to find me a Charizard 1999 first edition PSA 10 Wizards of the Coast. Um, you know, you might have the ability to find one that might not pop up on eBay while I'm waiting for it. Um, you know, I, and I don't have to look every night on eBay for one to pop up for me to find, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, why we have you on market movers is, you know, Andrew's brilliant idea. Again, got to give this guy credit is, you know, what I love about this hobby and I've seen interviews you, you know, in 2017 talking about vintage cards and the market and the whole deal is that this recent explosion in the hobby has created all these little niche industries, these little jobs, these group submissions, like we're doing ourselves or mm -hmm. you who's branching off and you are creating a full-time job now as, you know, I'm going to middleman hobby deals between big time buyers and big time sellers and put people together that otherwise would not have a way to do it. It's just interesting to hear about that. And it's, it's a, it, I'm thankful that we we're able yep. to have you on here because it just tells the people listening to this who might've gotten in, in the last month or two months that, you know, look, this is not going anywhere. This is a hobby that's building up, you know, basically, you know, an economy of scale here, right? Where, you know, people are actually are going out and creating businesses yep. based on what's going on in the hobby. So thank you for, for that. I mean, Nick, and I'm curious because I want to piggyback off of that. Yep, it's a two-part question. I hope it's okay to ask you this. What did you think about the resealing of the first edition Pokemon box? And really the second question is, if you were the broker that put a deal together, how would you play that? How would you handle that? So, you know, I, I watched like that. Hot, and, hot seat. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I did, I did watch it. And, and to be honest with you, like, I'm not, you know, huge on Pokemon. I got into it maybe, you know, a month ago where I like, I have I avidly did research because I'm like, man, these cards are selling for a lot. You have to, right? You have yeah, to. You, you kind of have to ad adapt and, and, and see. Um, and I, and I did watch it. And one thing I thought was if you're brokering a $375,000 box, you should kind of know 
like what you're dealing with, you should know how to spot a resale. And, and but also to that point, I think that box was offered to other people and the other people knew it was resealed. And I think that's, you know, that's a problem with the community. The community should be able to share, hey, I was just offered a resealed box. Be careful, you know, just be more mindful if it, you know, of that. So, you know, part of it's on the community. Part of it is definitely on the seller. You know, if you're if you're brokering anything above, you know, six figures, you should be the expert on the item that you have you know or have somebody that you know at least you know is extremely resourceful to do that um you know i i if i you know i think the reaction was was you know at least the i i guess the deal was was made right and everything you know everything was fine but you know it's just something that's you know sometimes it happens people do get duped and and you know it's even even people even people, you know, that that are the experts, even in some cases, you know, you, you could find people that, hey, I bought something and it ended up not being good and you're the so-called expert. So, you know, that's not to say that, you know, they don't know what they're doing, but it's also, you know, you should at least do ample research and make sure that there's no out, outliers, uh, you know, especially with, a, you know, the potential of a resealed box. Tell us some. Um... So Cage, you know, Cage yep. buys and sells a lot and he's been in this hobby for a minute. He, over the last few months, he met someone on eBay and, and he's done some huge, huge deals with him off eBay and he's built relationships with this guy. Nick, what's, do you have one or two stories that kind of come to mind about a really awesome deal that you made or a connection you made? I know a lot of buyers and sellers do want to stay in public, so we, let's respect that part. Um, but I would love to hear like a story or two, you know, about a really cool card a buyer came to you and asked for, uh, or something. Does anything come to mind like that? Um, I mean, the past, the past experiences, like, especially like, you know, if I go back, like, let's say a year while I was still at Heritage, like one story that comes to mind was, you know, occasionally you get calls of, of family members that pass away or, you know, which is extremely unfortunate. Um, and sometimes, you know, these families don't really know, uh, what they have or what they're sitting on, or, you know, even what their family member really collected. So when you show up to the, to the person's house, you don't really know what to expect. You could see right. something and it not be worth anything. Um, in this case, we, we flew out there and, um, and we come across this room. So just to cut you, not, not to cut you off, like, cause I, I really love the, the, the kind of interest. Here. So someone literally picks up the phone and calls you and were you at heritage at this point yeah i was i was at heritage at, at this and they're time. like we have a collection here at our house a family member passed away can you come and evaluate it and see what we should do with it they have a yeah. list of questions initially it's maybe send some pictures and you don't know if it's re real or not especially t206s and those kind of things right they ask some preliminary stuff and you, but you're still you, taking you, a risk right yeah, you, you get you you get a good idea kind of asking preliminary questions. In some cases, some people, you know, they can't really even answer if they don't really understand it. They can't even answer what it is because, you know, they're going to give you the same, you know, type of names depending on what the yeah. collection is. Well, there's this guy Jordan in here and uh, I think he was pretty good, but I don't know. It has this case. I can't take it out of the case. I've been trying to break it out of the case. I can't tell you what's inside here. Yeah. So you, you do get those situations and, you know, we just so happened to be, we were, we were actually doing a road trip and we just so happened to be, uh, we had free time and it just, it worked out perfectly to where we showed up, uh, you know, at this lady's house and uh, we go into this, this, this room, like a normal bedroom. And all of a sudden all this stuff is laid out on the floor and we go through the first box 
and we're pulling out, you know, Tom Brady game worn jerseys. We're pulling out, you know, three 86 Fleer boxes. We're pulling out like five Jordan PSA 10s, 86 Fleer PSA 10s. You know, we, it was just, you know, you're talking a seven figure deal right in front of you. And you're like, you're just astonished because like those calls don't happen every day, you know, regardless of what, you know, all the major auction houses like that's that happens okay you know every couple of weeks you know for the big for the bigger guys you know but that that's something that you're just like you'll remember forever because like you'll never experience that especially a lot of the items were just like one-of-a-kind items like a tom brady game worn jersey like is you know from from a game worn perspective is extremely hard to attain so um so the, the person that collected this knew exactly what they were doing. And they just so happened, you know, they had Super Bowl rings. They had, they had, you name it, they had it. So those are the situations that, you know, you kind of advise the person, Hey, you, you made the right call. We're going to take care of you. But at the same rate, you also tell them, just make sure you don't let anybody in your house because you're sitting on, you know, on a fortune, like you should right. install cameras, you know, for the time being until we're able to pull all this stuff out, you know, because, you know, a lot of this stuff in some cases is not insured. And, you know, so you want to make sure that the person's taken care of at the end of the day. And they also don't get duped. You know, you could go to a dealer and, you know, the dealer is just trying to get the best deal in the room. They're not trying yep. to, they're not, they're not trying to advise you on, you know, Hey, yep. you know, this is a million dollars. Let me help you move it for that. They're not, they, they don't care. You know, they think if I could get this for a hundred thousand dollars and I know I can move it for 10 X, they're going to do that. And a hundred thousand to a, just a regular person who just stumbled upon these cards is like what? Yeah, um, but they don't know the true value. I I, I definitely agree. Um, I have a question, but I'm going to save it to the end because it's about one of my idols and heroes. Um, well, listen, then I'm going to just do a public service announcement. If you happen to be listening to this and you're like you know 75 years old, and you have a collection of you know a stack of Michael Jordan PSA 10 sitting in your <laughs> nightstand, some game worn you know. B- Tom Brady jerseys, some Super Bowl rings. Um, you know, what are some other priceless things in Andrew's mind? A Tyler Hero Prism base card. These ra- these amazing, like, one-on-one items that you have. You know, do me a favor. Take five minutes after you listen to this episode. Write a little list out. Put a little legal pad in, whatever it is. That way, you know, your loved ones know, okay, this is worth $3 million. <laughs> don't, don't do the disservice to me when I pass away and sell my Tom Brady, uh, you know, worn jersey game worn jersey to anybody um you know so take he still has a house phone if you didn't notice (laughs) wow that he must get a lot of calls during the day (laughs) i do you know i have 11 warranties on my car (laughs) nick on your warranties on your one of your uh, instagram posts you have uh two one of one michael jordan logo mans uh, it's, it's, it's just one, but that's the for, before and after picture. So it's the top picture is, 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 uh, when it, when it, uh, when it was raw and the bottom picture was when it was graded That's actually one of, uh, you know, a great story. Uh, uh, so I got the, a call that, um, somebody had the one of one Jordan logo man from Oh two Oh three upper deck. And it's part of a, a, a set called Logo Mania. And it was the first set that they ever put Logo Mans into. They did, it's a nine card set and they did three Jay Williams. So don't ask me why Jay Williams is in there. Three uh, Kobe Bryant's and three Michael Jordan's. Dude, Jay um, Williams was supposed to be very, yep, very He was, he was supposed yeah. to be great. He was, he supposed, was supposed to be, to be the great. big guy. Yeah. 
but um, you know, that didn't really pan out. Uh, but you know, uh, so I get the call and I, I get a picture of the item and I'm like, wow, I, you know, this is, you know, historically significant in the sense that this is arguably the first Jordan logo man ever produced. You know, most people, like even me, I was looking at it and I'm like, man, I thought, you know, Exquisite was a, pretty much the first to really, you know, pretty, you know, really generate the following with Logo Mans. Um, and this was, you know, bef- this happened the year before. Um, so I came, we came across that card and, you know, at first it, it was, we knew it was, I knew it was probably going to bring about six figures. So we, we had the discussion. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, so the market substantially changed by now. The card could be, you know, probably, you're talking maybe, you know, it depends on where the market goes. An eight sold maybe a, uh, maybe six months ago of the same card for about what this one sold for. So about a quarter million. And this one was a nine five. So you're probably talking that this one's maybe half a million to a million dollars. You never know because it's a one of one. So you never know what somebody's willing to pay and who's out there bidding. Um, but uh, how did you guys decide to uh, go to BGS instead of PSA on it? Um so that was an interesting one because I thought that if, if we go, we could always go back to, to PSA. If we, I, I looked at the card first, so I flew to, to Chicago where, where the card was and uh, looked at it in person. And I was astonished because I, you know, you don't see a card that, that especially a thick border card, you don't really, you would think, oh, it's raw at this point. The condition is probably not going to grade out very well. So, and it was in a pretty much a screw down at that point in time. Um, the, the people actually, you know, the story behind it is they went to, uh, uh, I think it was a Walmart in New Jersey and they, and they, and they bought a, a couple packs and they ended up getting it out of a, a, a box, a $2 pack, you know, in New Jersey. So they, they ended up getting a six figure card, you know, uh, 17 years later, uh, the, you know, out of, out of a $2 pack. And the story was remarkable. Um, and, uh, and the, the family was, you know, they, they uh, put the, they put it in like a chocolate box and then they put it in a safety deposit box. And they said, yeah, we, we rarely even look at it. We knew, you know, it was valuable, but we just, you know, at the point in time that we got it, we knew we had something, but we didn't really want to sell it. So they just put it in a safety deposit box. And then 17 years later, they went to sell it. So it was good that they, you know, that they sold it, you know, way, way later. And they took very good care of it. I took it out of the, um, I took it out of the screw down. We, uh, the next day, uh, I flew back to Dallas with the card and we took it to BGS. I figured the card would probably nine. And I figured if it was, if, if it had really high subs via BGS and it would nine, the card would likely cross to a PSA nine. But since it gemmed, I was like, the, the likelihood of a PSA 10ing was very up in the air to me. Cause I like, you know, there was, you know, like you always have, you're always going to be meticulous, especially looking at a raw card. Like me, I'm always going to err on the side of caution. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, you know, just a little touch on the, on one corner. So maybe they, they nine the corner or something like that if they err more on the side of caution than they gem it, you know, then, you know, we really don't have to worry, but also with a one of one condition is one thing. Rarity is another thing. So, I was gonna say. so, so guys don't, don't, if, if they're really after the car, they don't really care what the grade level is at, you know, what, once it comes down to like, you see the PMG greens now selling and, you know, now everybody's making a buzz of, of, of an authentic selling in auction. And it's like, yeah, that authentic is going to do remarkable things. 
and nobody cares what the grade level is. Nobody cares what the condition is. Nobody honestly even cares if it's altered at that point, you know? Right. As long as it's authentic, especially because there's so few of them and so many people after them. No, I was just trying to get you to drop some special nugget about how uh, Heritage and uh, BGS are both in Texas. And there was some special, you know, back deal, back room deal going on. But you're not going to do that because it's just not possible. So I'm going to say it. Cage, Cage just, is on this conspiracy theory. Kit. I always assumed that those that, you know, auction houses and whatnot always had uh you know, a better way of getting things graded for, uh, you know, yeah, hey, uh, this one's potentially a, a BGS 9, but we'll, we'll make it a 9 you and a think half. I'll never if, prove it. I'll do you never think prove same, it. same card uh, graded BGS 9.5 or PSA 10? Nick, you're that, the expert here. Do you think it sells for the same amount? At that point in time, probably in, in today's standard, maybe, you know, there's guys that, you know, would prefer it in a PSA holder. It's just it's very hard to say just because it is a one of one. If you're talking that there's, you know, 25 or 10, you know, then it's a different story. I think like, you know, it's the PSA is always going to get preferential treatment. You know, I always look at it from a standard of like, what's, what's, you know, what's rare in the sense, like if you have, let's say a card that's zero number 200, like, what would you prefer if you go if you go on the grading scale? And my preference is always, okay, BGS 10 for me is always number one because it's going to be always the lowest population regardless of anything. Like go look at probably any card and the pristine, the pristine or black label rate of any card is going to be lower than the PSA 10 rate probably by far. Um, so that's what I look at, you know, when I'm, when I'm buying. Like BGS 10s generally have a lower pop. Then, you know, then of course – after BGS 10s, you're going to go PSA 10s, of course, and then you're probably going to go with the BGS 9.5 after that point. So that's kind of where I differentiate things. But it also depends on the pop, you know, and it also depends on what the card is. But for most iconic cards, like I tell people, like if if a BGS 10 is selling for close to what a PSA 10 is, go look at the pop of the PSA. If the gem rate is, let's say, 10% on the PSA and you have a 1% on the BGS with, let's say, there's only 2000, you know, let's say it's 2000 total graded between both companies, each have a thousand each. And, you know, you're talking that the gem rate of one is 10% and the other one's 1% with the same popular, with the same total amount graded, you're going to go, you should go with the BGS long-term. It's just going to play out so much better in your perspective. Cause Cage, you could have your, your rebuttal. Your um, cage is a, he, he doesn't dance with BGS. He won't I even go, go in the same room. I don't dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. So, no. So, I mean, honestly, I think it's really just a, on this card at NPS, before I answer the question about BGS and NPSA, Nick, just drop where this picture is, what your Instagram account is, because we spent some time talking about the card. I want our listeners to be able to go sure. and find it and find your account. Sure. So my Instagram is ncepero17, N-C-E-P-E-R-O-17. So um, I have stuff in there, you know, that, you know, from some of some of that stuff is personal stuff. Some of it is, you know, back when I worked for Heritage, just seeing remarkable collections that I just snapshot it. Um, so you'll see, you know, even stuff back then, you know, I'd, I'd post even stuff that was raw back then. And then, you know, if you scroll and like three weeks later, you'll see that it was graded. So you can see like the transgression of a LeBron, you know, RPA, you know, pretty much getting graded, you know, and, and what that process entails. So um, th that was, th those, those experiences were something that, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll cherish because you, you know, how many, 
I think with LeBron RP as they're just being, you know, stashed. I mean, most guys that, that own one, you know, it's, it's going to be a very difficult card to attain and it could be a card that, you know, in maybe 20 years from now is impossible. You know, you're talking potentially for modern cards. It's like the Wagner. You, you just, when you see it, you need to buy it because you may not get ever a chance. Yeah. And LeBron like is very uh, in, in, in full of himself, so to speak. And uh, he's probably has like four or five of them himself. If I were to guess that that's what yeah, he's, 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 he's probably got all of them. He's probably got all of them. So quickly on the BGS or PSA on this particular card, if it were one that I wanted, I'm not a local man guy. I mean, maybe I'll change my, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe my taste, my palate will develop over time. And that'll be something that I am more interested in. Um, but if it were a card I was interested in, I wouldn't care if it was BGS nine, nine and a half or PSA 10, because it is a one-on-one. I never really understood that. I, I do like the slab for a one-on-one, um, only because it, it, it gives you, you know, a, a degree of certainty regarding authenticity, but yeah, I don't think it changes too much, but I will say as far as <clears throat> anybody coming into the hobby now and everything's subject to change, but I think a PSA 10 slab on most things, not one-on-ones, not real rare cards, but PSA 10 on most things has provided a liquidity to the market and to the hobby that was not previously there. Um, I think that, you know, it allows for things like StockX to sprout up and become popular. It allows for trading markets to develop on cards, Rally Road. It's a quote PSA 10 set. You know, it's nice and easy for them to put that up there. A PSA 10 card, a PSA 10 becomes like a stock of a player. Um, and a BGS nine and a half, um, or a 10 are always going to be trading at some various multiple of those cards. Not hundred percent sure what it is. I, I, you know, I don't mind the subgrades yeah. on a card, but I mean, I mean, I mean most, gem? Mo- most people would agree with you in the sense that PSA is looked at as the standard and there's a, you know, there's, there's a variation to that standard. Like if you have a nine, five, you know, likely the nine, five is not going to be, you know, worth as much as a PSA 10. But you know, if you have a BGS ten, you could potentially sell it for, let's say, double or triple what a what what a what a PSA is going for. So PSA yeah. is probably always going to look at the standard, but that's also they're going to be looked at the standard because they're also getting the most amount of people to to submit with them. A and B, they're also you know attaining the highest price levels as well. So I like you know, so I got two questions for you. You can answer them however you like, right? So one of them is I think it'll be an easy one during your time now as an independent broker. Um, and or your time when you were at Heritage, what's the coolest single piece? It doesn't have to be a card, but the coolest single piece that you've actually held. Um, it could be one of those, the Jordan we talked about, or the LeBron, or one of those things. That's question one. And question two is, yeah, you know what? I'll ask question two after you answer it. Go ahead. I'm going to make you answer it. Go for it, because I see you yeah. thinking. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, um, cool things, um, let's say, I mean, Jackie Robinson, game-worn jersey, Wow, probably cool. up there. Uh, taking a picture with the Heisman Trophy is definitely up there. That one's. Did you do the Heisman pose though? <laughs> I didn't, but my co- one of my coworkers oh, at the time did. Missed opportunity, yeah. <laughs> missed opportunity to not yeah. do the Heisman pose with the Heisman. Yeah, yeah man, that's cool those, stuff. So those are oh, that's awesome. How about a card? How about a card? Card. Uh, having a Wagner on your desk is always cool to just snap a picture of it. Um, cause you just, you know, you'll rarely get those opportunities. Um, but for it's me, like I would take, that's a cool job. I've actually visited the heritage uh, gallery in New York. Cause I've been on a lot of heritage auctions. I, I've been there, you know, in preview of, of an auction coming up and, and they let you look at a card. 
You know, if the yeah. card's there, if it's in house, they do auction previews. And I, I've held some of these cards that I, I mean, I, I'm never going to bid on a Wagner now. Um, you know, they obviously do a little bit of a check on who you are and what kind of stuff they don't want you just, you know, grabbing a Honus Wagner. Um, I have bid on a Wagner at a professional auction though, but we're talking about 15, 16 years ago. And the card was significantly less <laughs> than it is now. I wish I would have bought it. Um, but you know, I've, I've held some really cool, you know, 33 Gaudi Bay boots and high grades and, you know, like cards like that. It's a pretty cool process. Like I think if, 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 uh, if I hit the lottery or Andrew makes this podcast turn into what he promised me, it's going to be at one point in time. And, and I got so much money flowing in from it that, uh, that I can, I would love that. That's a cool thing just to be able to kind of be surrounded. Like you said, hey, to have a, a Wagner on your desk, you know, yeah. that's a I mean, cool, well, that's cool. I don't want to disrespect art, but I think that's the most overrated card in the world. Why? I, I tend to disagree with you. Yeah. Nobody what? knows who this guy is. That's what and makes it's it cool. always and it's beat to the the card is just always beat. I too. mean, name 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 a card, name a card that, that has a book written on it. <laughs> name the wag the, the Wagner does. So the Wagner, the Wagner's pretty much the only card that that you know, has a, has a soul book written just for the purposes of that card. It pretty much, you know, and the Wagner is just for most true, like true collectors. It's, it's the grail card. It's always been even people outside the hobby for the most part. Like you ask somebody, Hey, what do you think's the most expensive card in the world? And most people could pretty much answer T206 Wagner without having any, any, you know knowledge basis or they could at least give you a description of what the card looks like they know it's a little card you know this big you know so i think that's it's more about you know the allure of it than you know who the actual player was like wagner was a great player you know an immortal figure in baseball but you know for for modern guys i could see why it wouldn't be something like what's its contemporary significance and i'm playing devil's advocate because you can respect art without actually understanding the story behind it uh, but I am playing, like, what is the contemporary significance? You know, what, like, Mickey Mantle, he's still talked about. He's compared to Mike Trout. So I understand what Mike Trout's compared to him. Every card Honus- that gets sold for a record price is compared to the Honus Wagner. <laughs> Not to mention the okay, fact that, that's cool. so that's that, cool. that it's the measuring stick of all cards. It's, it's the thing that transcends baseball yeah. and, and, and cards. It's what compares it to art. And I'll tell you the story behind it, Andrew, and for our listeners who might not know this, and it's never confirmed, right? It's never confirmed that this is a story, but there's a lore to some of these 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 hobby cards. The, the 52 Mantle obviously is an iconic card. It's tops, it's you know, it's it's tops coming back into the hobby. There was a 51 tops, but it, you know, a 51 tops is stupid um but it's iconic for a reason the 33 gaudi the 51 bowman oh yeah that's his rookie but the 52 tops is an iconic card the 33 gaudi set um there's a there's a card i believe it's called 106 napoleon lageway i might be saying that wrong he was Mm -hmm. already done playing at the time um but at the time that set came out um there was i believe it's a 140 card set but gaudi at the time a bubblegum card company put those cards with the, with the gum and they only made 139 of the cards and they did mm-hmm. not put card number 106 in the set. And yeah. a few intrepid set collectors wrote to the company and said, Hey, we've been trying to put the set together. I think it was probably a genius marketing idea because the people are trying to make the set and they can't, they just keep buying gum trying to find this card number 106 and they just didn't put it in. Most likely it's just a mistake, but 
So, so what the company did in response was they, they mailed out in the following year, those 33 Gaudis were actually printed along with the 34 Gaudis, which has some cool Lou Gehrig cards in it. Um, they printed a, a Napoleon Langeway, one of the best players, you know, um, in the game of baseball ever was card number 106. And they sent it out after the fact. And it was only sent out to people who wrote in for it. And a lot of them have condition issues because they were sent to people with a letter saying, here's your card with like a paper clip on it. It was put through regular mail in an envelope. And not to mention the card's only almost 100 years old. That's a cool story. The Wagner story, the reason why it's scarce, allegedly, is that he had an issue with tobacco products. At least this is the lore of the thing. And you want to talk about contemporary stuff. Think about, you know, the, the truth.com and smoking now and all the crap that you see on television and, you know, the don't won't smoke, it's good for your health and blah, blah, blah. Allegedly, they printed this out for him and he was like, I don't want my picture on a tobacco product. So they printed up 50, 60, 100, 200, yeah. whatever they were as samples. And that's how many have survived. Allegedly. That's Allegedly. Yeah. There, there, there's even stories of him saying like, you know, that, you know, he didn't want them using his image just based off like they weren't paying him. You know, They weren't paying him enough. Yeah. yeah. So it could be like the first like licensing deal where they're not paying him enough money, you know, to be, you know, to license his, his and lean towards the, the tobacco one because he's on a lot of other products. During yeah, the I know. I know. Like yeah. Cards. That, that's, candy cards and stuff. yeah, that's definitely that's definitely the 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 more, you know, informed, informed uh, opinion of of. Uh, it's a cool um, thing, though, Andrew. I mean, it's yeah. a cool story. It's one of those things. As a kid, I didn't know who the hell he was. Uh, he was he was one of the greatest players. I mean, he's a great second baseman, right, for Pittsburgh, I think. Um, and he was, you know, uh, but right now, I think his house came up for sale recently, and his house sold for less money than the card would sell for. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah. right? So and, it, and, it, and anytime there's a headline, like the trout selling, you know, that it surpassed the Wagner, like the headline is, it becomes the the, you know, the rarest collectible ever to sell. So Dude, there are more stories about that card than any other card. The Gretzky yeah. McNall one, the, the yeah. fact that Gretzky bought one at a record price and how it's a fake, how it was trimmed. Well, it's how it was, trimmed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how it was, you know, like cut out of a sheet possibly. And I mean, just crazy stuff. Charlie Sheen owned one or owns one. There was one on display at Planet Hollywood, I think. You got to look this up, man. It's got such stories. It's like Banksy. You know, with like the who knows and all this craziness around it, right? So one was on display at the Planet Hollywood. It was a PSA 1, right? And it turned out that I don't know if it was an employee of the place. I don't know what the story was, but they replaced the card with like a reprint and put it up on the wall at Planet Hollywood. So like a reprint was there. And then they had the FBI had to come in and find the right one and return it to try. I mean, it's just a crazy, there's so many stories about that card. It just transcends who okay. Wagner himself was. You went exactly where I wanted to go with it. And Nick, what we try to do for our community is, is we're just focused on bringing them value. You know, we don't charge really for anything that we do. We just want to help people. You know, I always think I'm speaking to my younger self and I want to help them avoid the mistakes I made and to, you know, build on top of success. Well, you're so leading into I question have... two. You're leading, I, I want to see if you have the same question I had. So go. Because I, I told him I had two questions. He only answered one and I didn't get the two. I'll bet you you have the same question. Hmm. Is it the Go fact it. that, you know, you're, we're seeing a lot of people make money on modern and how do you take, you know, your profits, what you're making in these base cards and turn that into a real collection. And, you know, you've been in it, you've seen amazing collections. I know it's kind of a vague answer. If we could start there and we'll hone in on some details, that'd be great. But like what makes an amazing collection and what have you seen from people who've made some money and then turned it into the real collection? Yeah. 
I mean, it definitely does, you know, it takes money to build a remarkable collection, a, a next level collection, but that's not necessarily like, it's all about the opportunity as well. Like people right now, they're very invested in base cards because base cards are, you know, they easily traded and they're like a stock. But like for long term, you know, for the for long term, like if you're rolling that money and let's say you sell, you know, let's say you sell two Luca base and you roll it into a, a Luca red or something like that, you know, or, or something with a definitive serial number. I think those cards will hold over time rather than the base cards. You know, it, it just depends on kind of, you know, where the market goes. There's, there'll be a lot less volatility if you're buying actually rare cards than, you know, the more mass produced cards, you know, and that that's just, that's, that's if worst case scenario happens that let's say, you know, the hobby doesn't grow exponentially as it's growing right now. It's grown so much in just a short period of time that, you know, it's probably better to just buy rare, but you don't, you know, car, you could even look for cards that people aren't even looking for right now that you think maybe not five years from now, but 10 years down, down the line, people will actually care. You think, you know, e even in the nineties, I mean, there's certain inserts in the nineties that for certain players weren't worth what they're worth today. And the certain guys that were buying them then, you know, now are sitting on a, on a fortune just because, you know, either they looked at it and they were like, oh, this is a true rare piece, or they looked at it just to fill their collection. I always tell people, collect what you like, not what, not what other people are telling you to buy, to buy essentially. You, you can make your own informed decision while still taking advice from other people. Like it's great, you know, when you're advised from somebody that's been in the hobby a long time and understands market fluctuations, but you, you, you could also make your own inference and be like, oh, I agree with that statement. And then, you know, make your decision. Or you could be like, let me, let me do a little bit more research on it and see what the market, what the market's telling me. The market will always tell you kind of, hey, what's a play and what's not a play based off, you know, past sales. For true rarity, sometimes you need to set the comp. Sometimes you need to be the one to pay a record to actually attain that card. So that's that's the that's the tougher thing when you're spending upwards of you know five six figures on a card and you need to be the one to kind of set the precedent on the card. Maybe that's what you, that's that's what you need to do to you know take your take your collection. Some of it's a gamble, honestly. Well, a couple things to unwrap from what you just said. The first I'm gonna I'm gonna take out is the the last piece. It sounds like you've you've made that same statement almost pitch wise to one or two or three of your bigger buyers to say sometimes you have to be the one that sets the record on this on a rarity because it sounds like something you would say to somebody who's like, come on, man, I'm not paying eighty grand for this Lou Alcindor. He just he PSA just said that's the logic. He just said that's the yeah, logic. Well, the not four weeks ago. But I mean, you know. I, yeah, I know. I know the comp was fifty, but you got to pay eighty because next time this comes up, it might not that's, be for three more years, that, and then someone's going to pay one hundred and twenty, right? Yeah, but but that's that's the pitch. That's that's in some way the pitch of a salesman. If I'm working more as like I always view myself more so as an advisor, even if I'm broken a card. If a card, if somebody comes to me and the last sale of a card was was seventy five k, and I think the card the card true market value is fifty k, I'm not offering that card to anybody just just because for me the variance on that card. If, if I don't think there's it is too much. I mean, there's too much downside for somebody to lose if I'm advising them on what the other part that you that you mentioned that I do want to unwrap. And we hear it all the time. Buy what you love. You say buy what you like. Um, you know, for people coming in the hobby new, that is an important important thing to to remember, right? Because look, what you like might be what becomes valuable down the road. But more importantly, if you buy what you like, you buy a person you like, you buy a kind of card you like, and you build up a collection that has at least part of things that you enjoy, things are a player you root for. 
um, if a downturn comes for a couple of months, or if that card, you know, shaves 10 or 15 or 20% of its value, you're not going to be running around your house with your hair on fire saying, I got to get rid of this now or before the bottom falls out. It's still somebody you like. It's still somebody you believe in. It's a type of card or a play you believe in. And, and you know what, you know, you'll have confidence that it's going to come back. It's part of buy what you love. So here's my, my follow-up question on, on that. This was question number two for me. And I, I love the, you know, buy raw, roll it into something good. So you've had insight because you've worked, I mean, we all say we've been in the hobby for a long time, but, you know, going to Walmart, opening up packs or going to a couple card shows with your kid doesn't really mean you're in the hobby. You've been in the hobby in a way where, you know, the vast majority of people can't say they were. I mean, you got out of school and great school, Emory, by the way, got out of school and, um, and you, you went right into it for a career. You were immersed in it. You were going to people's houses and looking at their, their stuff. And now you've taken that and you've become, you know, middleman broker, um, you know, trying to put buyers and sellers together. I can ask you a question that I think will provide value to our folks because I think you have kind of a finger on a pulse of trends. You know, what kind of cards are you seeing people ask for? You know, what are your buyers out there saying, you know what, I need you, I need you to look for this. Is it trending towards a certain sport, trending towards modern, trending towards vintage? Just tell us a couple of the things that you're hearing because that's like insider info. You know what I mean? That's behind the scenes stuff. And that's what we like to throw out there for Luca Nation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's trending a lot toward modern and it's trending toward a lot of modern rarity. So like, you know, again, like the pinnacle for most modern guys is going to be like an NTRPA, like right now for like the modern wave of guys. So, you know, a lot of stuff is, you know, reaching these six figure levels and the cards are, you know, either were bought really early and some guys like to hoard that stuff. So it's very hard to pry, pry those out of people's hands. So you're, you're seeing a lot of guys like, Oh, I want to get into the market. I want to get it on Mahomes RPA or something like that. But it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's very hard to get those cards, you know, you know where they are, but you can't get a person to really agree on the price or the price level is just too high because they'll be like, oh, I want to buy them a home, but I want to buy it at this level. So, you know, the prices have kind of gotten to the point that, you know, for, for most guys, the modern stuff, you know, is definitely trending way upward, but some guys, there's a lot of guys that do take ample risk and the risk has definitely, you know, paid out in the modern sense. It's just, you know, most stable guys, they invest in vintage. Most, you know, most other guys that, that, you know, are more, you know, like riskier plays, they're going to invest in a guy that's a lot more risky like that. Either the, you know, he's played a year, you never know what's going to happen. You know, even an eight time all-star in some cases gets forgotten in, in the, over the course of history. So is that really going to play out, you know, 15, 20 years from now, you never know. So, you know, there's guys that like riskier assets, you know, even long-term like then there's guys that are just so strictly in it for the short term. So they want, Hey, I know potentially I'm betting on Mahomes winning another MVP and another Super Bowl in two years. What, what does that make the card market? If that happens, it's, 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 it's in a way it's asset gambling, but in a way you, you could view it as, you know, it's just strategic plays on what you, on what you could predict. I mean, and your asset value never goes down to zero in, in, in this. So in a way, some of these plays are, are, I mean, in a way they're pretty safe depending on what you're buying, of course. You've got to jump in here. There's people upstairs uh, sawing some stuff. So <laughs> that's fine because I thought you were trying to jump in and figure out. So, so, you know, the, well, actually the... I do now, now they stop. Uh, I want to talk about modern rarity and specifically given what you do, I think you're going to have really great take on this cards. Like, like the Luca white sparkle versus the Luca red, 
right? They're both scarce or the Luca tiger stripe versus the Luca blue, both scarce. But for me as an outsider, they don't feel the same. They're not numbered. Uh, the, the tiger stripe and the white sparkle is a number. How do you view those, I guess, retail parallels? And this is for you, Cage. I'd love to hear what you think of those, but I'd love for you to start off with that, Nick. I hate the white sparkle. I'm going to throw that out there. I think his question is more of a, even a retail or a parallel that you know is yep. rarer as opposed to one that there might be more of, but it's numbered like a blue out of 199 as opposed to something you know that there's less of like the tiger stripe. But So the white sparkle I hate because I've never been able to get a white sparkle pack. Those come with those <laughs> like white sparkle pack. I just assume that all of the insiders in the hobby get together at the at the national and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna distribute the uh, white sparkle packs between you guys now, and then you're the only ones who are gonna get the Luca and the white sparkle. Okay, I'm never gonna get one. I just never can. It's it, it, you know, um, one day I will. I'll get all the packs of white sparkle and I'll give them out to kids for free. But but I hate that. that That's really what they one. should be, to be honest. That that one right there, I hate that white spot. I hate those like, oh, it's the pack of. The, I just feel like it's one of these like it's one of the things that I would change about the hobby if I could. Uh, well, but fast, that's not fast his question. break is another one. Fast break is another one that doesn't just doesn't get the hobby respect, right? So like, if you are thinking of doing a flight to quality, yeah, Nick, jump in here, please. Yeah, I think I think with with you know stuff like the parallels that aren't numbered, you just have to view it as like a population game in a way, because you could kind of inference how many were produced just based off looking at the PSA populations and the BGS populations, um, and pretty much just make an informed decision. Okay, well, you know how many, let's say like peacocks, how, how many mosaic peacocks were out there? You know, you're like looking at it and you're like, oh, um, you know, there's. You, you, nobody knows, nobody really knows the exact number, but you could probably inference that based off how many are graded and the value of the card today, most likely all of them have been graded or close to all of them have been graded. So you could kind of inference that there's less than 20 or less than 15. So I think like with those, it's just kind of looking at it, like, does it appeal to the collector at this point in time? Um, with the actual serial numbered stuff, I think it's more of like visual appeal, like a Luca blue, like that's a team color. So people are going to be like, oh man, that's a beautiful car. It just looks beautiful. Like, I don't care that there's 199 of them. I don't care. I want to own it because it has a team color. So, yep. you know, th those are the type of things like people are looking for the trend of like, what's a, what's appealing to them. Like now the huge thing is like the team color people love and, you know, buying the team colors and the team colors generally bring a premium and you look at it and you're like, I could tell why that's an appealing card to people because, you know, it reflects well with the guy's jersey or, you know, what he's wearing or how he's posed. So, you know, I, I also think imagery is a big thing when it comes to collectibles. Like, they're all based off, off photography. So buy, buy something that's appealing photography-wise. Like, you, you don't have to buy what other people are telling you just because, oh, uh, you know, some people may like certified better than they like prism. You know, it's just a matter of what their preference is. And if the player truly is what they believe he is from, from an investment perspective, regardless of what they buy, stuff will trend up. And if you're buying rarity, that, that trends up exponentially. So like if you're buying a prism gold, yeah, that's, that's a certain threshold that you have to spend. So you're spending on the upper echelon of spending, but that's not to say that you can't buy a certified gold for, you know, 10% of that cost or even less and still make that money, you know, in the same fashion. I like it. How about sports? You see people trending more towards football. Is it still basketball, basketball game? Is it football now because football is what's in season? 
football is definitely a huge player right now. Um, ba- basketball, I, for me, I, I'd say the past year, basketball is king. I mean, it, it was, you know, if you ask, if you ask two years ago, even, even today, I mean, most auction houses generally trend to all, you know, primarily baseball has accounted for, you know, 75 to 80% of their business. Now you'll, you'll see that shift dramatically. There's a lot less basketball offerings. Like you'll, you'll see the catalog grow basketball offering wise, but the back, the, the, you know, the baseball section would be this thick on a, on a heritage catalog and, you know, basketball would account for like that much of it. Now you're seeing more, you know, a lot more offerings from a basketball sense. And you're also seeing those numbers of what these basketball cards are bringing, you know, in some cases, you know, dwarfing everything, you know, baseball. So it's, you know, and the Asian market has a lot to do with that as well. Like, you know, you know, basketball to me is more, you know, provides more of that Asian market than the baseball market does. You know, I think there's a lot more investability going on in Asian markets, uh, you know, trending toward basketball than there is in baseball. But, you know, I think there's in, in all sports, it's, you know, I, I buy golf cards, honestly, I'll buy, you know, there's, there's stuff that I'll buy that, you know, I think, you know, if, if you're buying iconic and you're buying, you know, and you're buying for, you know, pop culture, you know, I think there's plays in every sport. You just don't have to, you know, you could diversify sport wise. Just like you could diversify. Are Arnold Arnold Palmer cards a play? In a, in a way, yes. I mean, cause there's like, let's say you're buying like a 2001, like SP authentic auto. Like, I just think like, that's to me, like, if I'm a golf collector, I'm going to gravitate toward that. He's no longer living. He was an iconic figure. You know, I'll, I'll buy rare Tiger Woods cards because I think like Tiger Woods is an immortal figure that, that, you know, even a guy that doesn't even follow golf will tell you, Oh, I want that. I want that golf card just because it's Tiger Woods. You know, he's made that much of an impact on, on, you know, pop culture. It's, it's, it's about, in a way, some of the best investments are about transcending sport or trans and transcending more into pop culture. That's what like Pokemon has done. Pokemon has, you know, transcended more into pop culture than anything. And that's why there's a huge spike in people buying Pokemon. What about modern soccer? I, I like soccer. Soccer is a global sport. Uh, it's it, Europeans don't really collect, but that's not to say they can't collect because you know, they've collected stickers. They Panini still wouldn't be producing stickers every single year if people weren't buying it. So they're still selling the stickers. So once they start getting more exposed to actually, you know, the trading card aspect and actually uh, inputting like rare products in, you know, rare, uh, rare inserts and stuff like that into the products and getting exposed, hey, this common sticker is you're probably better off buying a rare parallel than a common sticker, then you'll likely see shifts and you're seeing a lot more collectors uh, pop up in, in, in certain areas of Europe, just solely based off soccer that only they're only like soccer guys that will only collect soccer. I'm not sold on soccer yet until the trends for uh, collecting change on soccer. I mean, uh, soccer is a global sport. I've read that so many times and I have some soccer cards, but I think what it's going to take is some, this is going to sound so terrible, but it's, it's going to take a, an American phenom. That's uh, like, a, you know. I, I wouldn't, I, I do, I do agree with that. I do think that the, 
the whole, you know, American side of things, like they, Americans need to get excited about soccer, honestly, because, you know, but that'll also come, like if the World Cup teams have of what they're saying it's going to be, you know, that'll also bring the allure back, you know, and you're seeing, the good thing is in soccer, you're seeing a lot more Americans on these Premier League teams, on, on, you know, you're, you, you tune in, you know, for a Champions League game and you see, you know, Christian Pulisic playing or somebody, uh, you know, that's American playing and you're actually, you know, you actually probably want to invest, you know, and it's, it's, for me, soccer's a lot like baseball in the sense that it's a lot of prospecting. So people love prospecting because prospecting, you could, you could find cheap plays, you could find cheap plays, or you used to be able to find cheap plays in, in, in baseball when like back in the day when you were buying like Bowman Chrome, you could prospect and, you know, spend 50 bucks on a card and that card could, you know, you know, three, four years down the line could be worth, you know, $500,000 and you're like, oh man, that was a great play at $50. Soccer, to me, I look at it in the same fashion. If you are watching and you think, hey, that guy has potential, you know, maybe not, it may not be tomorrow, but, you know, it's a 70-year-old kid and maybe, you know, five years down the line, he's, you know, the next global phenom, you know. I have you know, 187 Mason Greenwood cards at PSA presently. He just got left off the England team again. Yeah, you know, um, um, but I do. This is really good, by the way. So this is really good stuff. If you, Luca Nation, if you're listening, I would go and rewind because it, it's actually to the point, and that's the rain behind me. So is it can, is it a little loud right now? No, it's okay. Oh, it just sounds like you're in the bathroom. It's fine. Is that better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've said this to Cage quite a bit, and you've made a really good point, and I just want to hone in on it. What worried me with investing in soccer for example, with Mbappe, everyone got on the Mbappe train, but, but I've told Cage, I said, Mbappe's come and go. There's a lot of players in soccer. There's four really good leagues, maybe five. There's 20, 25 people on a roster. It's not like NBA where Mbappe is the next Luca, even though I did make that comparison because they're just such a bigger pool. But what you did was you made a really great comp to baseball prospects. So it's no longer necessarily about finding Mbappe when he's now already in culture. It's about finding Mbappe four or five years later. It's about finding the Halan when he's a dollar a card, $2 a card. It's about finding the Diego Jota, for example, crushing it right now for Liverpool when he just gets um, transferred there and playing it like a prospect as opposed to like finding the Luca and holding that forever. That's a really great point. I hope Luca Nation goes and implements that strategy for themselves. And you could, I mean, for basketball, it's a lot harder to do that in, in today's market just because the product is, is, is selling for so high. So, you know, your base cost of buying even the lower tier guys could be as high as five or $10 for some of these lower tier guys. It used to not be like that. Like, I, you know, I, I bought a collection of Prism base from 18, 18, it was 2017 and, and 2018 Prism base. And I was paying, you know, 25 cents a card for, you know, a group lot of all rookies. And I got a box of 5,000, you know, and now, you know, you go back into that and you're pulling shades that you bought for, you know, you have, you know, maybe 50 cents into each of them. You're pulling those out, getting them graded and selling them for 250, you know, if they 10 or so. And even at the height, they were higher than that. So like you could, so you were getting Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum for like one, $2 a card. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, so Tatum, 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 the card that got graded and it was selling for $700. 
I'll in 18, you, if you were doing an 18, dude, he's not lying. I went to a show in 19 before Zion, before the 19 prison came out. I was buying retail boxes of prison for $100, and that was like high at the time. Nobody cared. People had uh, stacks of like DeAndre Ayton, three yeah. bucks a card, a stack <laughs> a of dollar. 20 of them, you know, like a dollar cards. They're, I mean, seriously. And that was, yeah. it had already caught on. People already were looking for Luca, and, and, you know, people, that was when people were grading Luca. I mean, Luca, you could get Luca base cards for $10, $15. Tatum, Tatum's, yeah, Tatum's a funny story for me because I, I love Tatum in 17. And so I bought a ton and I bought, I bought, I was buying Tatum's his rookie season for at the point of release, they were like selling for between six and $8 a card. So I bought, and then I got them graded and I was going to sell them. And he just had a huge decline. The market declined and they were selling nine fives and tens, not a nine five was selling for about $26 or something like that. And I was like, I was like, I was like, man, I'm probably going to lose money after my grading fees and what I have into these cards. I'm going to lose money. So I just threw them in a box and this was maybe, you know, this was right his rookie year. And I threw them in a box and I forgot about them. I was like, I was going to sell them. And I was like, ah, let me just put them in a box and forget about them. I go in my closet. This, I was moving recently from Dallas. Uh, I moved down here to Miami and uh, I was moving and I come across a box and I open the box and sure enough, there's like 24 Jason Tatum, you know, nine, five. You, cover, you covered your moving fee. Yeah, it, it was, it, you know, and, and you move those things and you're like, man, I had, you know, I was going to take a, you know, three or $4 loss on these. And now I'm paying, you know, I'm, I'm sitting pretty, but you know, that's also having, you know, it's also you know, you don't need to be spending a ton of money on this stuff to really make a huge profit margin. Like you could be buying like lower tier cards, like hoops cards. And even then there's guys that specifically will buy hordes of this stuff and they'll buy it cheap because people aren't really looking at it, but their profit margin, if they're spending a dollar a card, getting it graded at 10 or $12 a card, let's say, or even on the high side, 14, their investment is let's say $15, $15 a card. And if they get a PSA 10, they move that for 75 bucks. Look at, look at how much money there is there. And if you're rolling that a hundred, a thousand times there, there's money to be made there. You just have to find the game to where it makes sense for you. Some of those plays don't make sense. Some of them do. So it's about just, you know, like just make, just make the informed decision, follow the market, know what your downside is to grading, know what your upside is to grading know when to buy raw, when to buy graded. You know, those are the inferences that collectors, I think the new wave of collectors are just solely focused on, let me just buy a PSA 10. Let me just buy a PSA 10. And you don't really need to invest that much money to, to really do that if you're calculating the gem rate. Sometimes it just makes sense to buy a PSA 10 because it eliminates the hassle, it eliminates everything and you still have the investment. But some other times it's just like, if the gem rate's 70%, the odds are that most cards on the market are probably 10. If you're, if you're actually looking at the card when you're buying it on eBay and the guy has high quality scans, or if you're buying a lot of 10 and you're like, oh, well, there's bound to be something. You know, just make, just, you know, do some, research prior and i think that's that's the key i think for most collectors is like you know i think there's some collectors that they want to pay for they rather pay for advice and actually you know really you know buckle down and and do the research themselves and i feel like the people that are doing the research themselves are really you know are really the ones that you know really understand okay well here's where the market's going to trend or here's where it makes sense to do this I'll let, give me you one. let me synthesize that real quick, uh, yep. and then I want to hear from you, Cage. What Nick is saying for you guys out there listening is, let's say you hone in on a card, right? You're like, 
Tyler Hero is my player, and I'm going to either buy Hoops or Prism. And now you have to decide, do I buy the PSA 10, the PSA 9, or Raw? He's saying, before you make that decision, go to the PSA pop report, go to the BGS pop report, and take a look at, oh, look, there's been 1,000 cards graded and 750 of them are 10s. Well, why would I pay a premium for a PSA 10 when, sorry about that, guys, I apologize. Why would I pay premium for a PSA 10 where I could buy this raw and I have a 75% chance, probably higher if I have a good eye, to gem it. So buy it raw and gem. Whereas if I find that card and only 35% has been gemming, I'm like, oh, the PSA 10 now is a premium. I should go and buy that. I just want to synthesize that for people who, you know, when I was first in the hobby, I didn't know that stuff. And that's where the nuance, that's where the education really comes in. I like it. Research it. So here's my question for you. And then maybe we'll, uh, we'll be mindful of next time and, you know, let you get back to the construction site that you're on, Andrew. Um, but basically we, um, we've had three hurricanes back to back to back and uh -huh. it's kind of, um, it's left a little bit of damage on the property. So they're fixing it up. It's good that they're doing that. You know, I mean, let's hope you're able to go a week or two without a hurricane. It's crazy what happened down there. It's <clears throat> really insane. Um, so here's my question for you, Nick. And then obviously, you know, I want to remind people where they could find you again, but my, uh, my biggest question for you is this. We have a lot of people who are new to the hobby grading for the first time using us to help them grade. And, um, you know, we hope to get everybody a whole bunch of tens. We have people who are listening to this, who, uh, you know, might've just gotten into the hobby in the peak the last couple of months and have seen, you know, some, some cards, a little vintage, a little modern, take a little bit of a pullback, <clears throat> especially with basketball, um, you know, guys who were flying high in the bubble who were eliminated and you see some of the value come out guys like Mbappe and soccer who were $3,000 and are now 700 for that PSA 10. Um, I think that you can, and I could be wrong here, but I think you can have almost a calming um, influence on these guys because you have insight to money flow, you know, people, not only when you're at heritage, but you know, with what you're doing now, you know, putting buyers and sellers together um, we've heard a million people from social influencers to my, my, my seven year, year old son say we're early on in this thing, right? This is a, you know, I've heard the, the phrase, you know, we might not be in the first quarter of it, but we're in the second, we haven't reached halftime of this hobby. You know, it's still growing, you know, where, uh, there's still so much, so much legs to it. It's not, it's not a bubble that's about to burst. You know, you don't have to escape and get out. Do you think that's accurate, especially, you know, given what you see with people coming to the hobby, big money people who are looking for that Zion one one logo man and they're willing to pay, you know, $500,000 for it or whatever it is, right? You, you see long-term health? I see long-term health, especially from on, on the rarity perspective. There's a lot of new guys coming in and spending easily six figures in less than a month, you know, and, and, and spending it. And they're looking at it from, you know, hey, even in the short term, I can make money or even in the long term, I could make money. I think there's no arguing that like the iconic of the iconic cards 20, 20, 30 years from now will still be valuable because there's a nostalgic factor to, you know, to, to this hobby. Like most guys that are, you know, in their thirties or forties, now that they have the money to spend on it, they will spend the money. And it's, you know, I think that that part is extremely stable. I think, you know, the base card market is just about, you know, is just kind of the one that you, you see the volatility on and you just have to be mindful of what you're buying. You know, if there's, you know, if, if at that point in time, there's a low population of a card 
and it's selling very well, but you know, on the back end of it there after, you know, after these cards start selling for two or $300 a piece on the back end of it, if you, if you, if 5,000 are going to be graded, the population is just going to, going to go up astronomically, therefore driving down the price of the card. That's why you see Mbappe's go down. That's why you see, you know, to me, like 92 shacks, like they, that's why you see them because back then they weren't worth grading. Now they are worth grading where it makes sense. Even if you get an eight or a nine, you know, th that it's worth grading. You know, I tell people anytime you get a card worth about a hundred bucks and it, it has the potential to nine or 10, it's probably worth getting graded for the sheer fact. You don't have to deal with the headache. You don't have to deal with the, the nonsense. And grading pr provides a standardization. And the standardization is great for the longevity of the hobby. It's great for, you know, for it trading like a stock. And people are looking for ways to invest that are fun. Everybody that talks about coming into the market is talking about, man, I, I'm reliving my childhood. This is, th this, this is fun to me. And I think that's, that's the key, you know, it's, it's, it's about the enjoyment and, you know, look, people enjoy making money and, you know, people are definitely making a lot of money currently. Um, and, but, it, you know, it's also about the collecting as well. People have an affinity to these cards. People are attached to them. You made a great point on the 92 shack. You made a really good point. And that was one of my misses because I urged people to take a look at Shaq. You know, Shaq is easily a top five player of all time. Absolutely. I, I feel if you look at his tops card relative to like a LeBron tops, it's so cheap. Like it's, it's not just cheap. It feels so cheap. And at 350, I was saying, you know, this might not be 350 for very long. And it shot up. Both the gold and the base shot up to 800. And then you saw it retract as there's more and more and more supply. You see on eBay, people sell like 30 card raw lots of Shaq. So you're spot on. That's a really good point on the Shaq market. What do you, do you, do you want to touch on that? What do you think of the Shaq market long-term? I think it's an icon. He's a, he's an iconic player and no doubt. Like, I think like to me, I always look at what's iconic and what's going to, you know, you know, withstand the test of time. And, you know, who's going to be like, even if you ask maybe a five-year-old or six-year-old that likes basketball, Hey, who's Shaquille O'Neal? They know, even though they didn't watch him play. And I think that's a big telling sign of, you know, for future generations, if, if this continues, if this trend continues and you get the younger generations involved, that the, that the market on those players will, you know, are extremely relatively stabilized after, you know, waves of huge, you know, after the wave of, you know, everything that becomes graded, which in those eras of mass production, you know, you're, you're going to be waiting years for that stuff to kind of all get fizzled out and graded. But I just think like long-term, if you're talking 15, 20 years from now, he's a figure that, you know, the, the cards will probably hold because guys, you know, my age or guys that, you know, looked at him as an icon or even him on TNT is a personality that's on TV every day. I think that is something that's different that sets him apart from, let's say, like a great player, but like not in the limelight, like Tim Duncan or somebody like that, where it's like, yeah, he's he's he, he was a great all time talent and I'll remember his talent. But, you know, my you know, my six year old cousin or nephew won't won't know who that is really or will know of him if he really gets ingrained in basketball, you know, but we'll have to watch videos to really understand the impact that he had on the sport. The other thing to mention with that, and it's, I mean, it's great, I love Shaq too, um, is what you talked about with, with the base card hunting and being mindful of the pop reports. And it's something we kind of try to preach here with 
do your due diligence, do your research. The, you know, the, the info is out there for you, right? So we talk about the PSA pop reports and you talked about how, you know, a card like Mbappe was selling for what it was, but then you knew there was going to be this flux of grading of it. And you talk about even the Shaq, the top Shaq card, um, people didn't grade it. So you knew it was selling for X, but people are going to grade it and more of those are going to hit. So the fade on that or the way to play that is find the rookie card that even when people grade it, it's not going to impact that um, population as much. So find that Shaq 92 upper deck full black card that instead of the tops, that's white border, that's going to grade well, that black one, you know, even in the last year, I think the population ha- uh, report has gone up like 2%, you know, yeah. because it's a, a hard one to grade in a high grade. Same thing with like Derek Jeter, right? You know, his tops rookie card base is probably going to have an influx of pop because it's a whiteboard or whatever, but that the SP 93, which is all foil. These are like the little nuanced things that you should look at with these guys. If you have an idea, don't just say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my money into Jeter or Shaq, put your money into one that you think might not explode in high end on the grading side. Or, so or think- even then, even on some of the base cards, especially in the nineties or early two thousands, look at how these cards are acquired. Like look at how you could, how you could attain them without getting them graded and still be in good condition. Like yep. factory sets, factory sets are, I mean, you can find factory sets, look at how to attain cards to, if you're looking for the, if you're looking to play the grading game, play the grading game as smart as you can. And factory sets is a way to play the grading game as, as much as, as in, in a way, if you play the factory game, right, you could probably hit like, you know, five times your money in, in some cases, just because if you're looking at it, oh, well, if like there's four cards in the factory set to grade and one of them tens and that 10 is worth 200 bucks, well, there you go. And if the rest of them nine, that's just more money in your pocket. So look at look at those plays and just think outside the box more so than just buying the individual card that you're looking for. You don't have to buy the individual card that you're looking for. You could buy either the wax product that it comes in and even hold the wax product. The wax product at some point in time, the wax product becomes scarce because people will bust it open. So just, you know, be mindful of that as well, because the wax is probably the most stable asset that you could probably find for a product. Nick, uh, two things. Can you tell people once again, where they can find you? And two, what makes you so special? And I think this is really exciting for our community is also let people know when and how and why they should reach out to you. Okay. Yeah. So my Instagram is N Sapero. So C E P E R O 17. And uh, you know, I think one of the reasons, you know, I'm, I'm more, I'm more than helpful when it comes to, if anybody asks me for advice, I'll give them my advice. I don't, I don't shy away. If somebody sends me a card and you know, is like, Hey, is this a good buy? I'll say, I'll at least reply yes or no. I'll at least give you an answer. <laughs> And, you know, if you don't like my answer, that's, that's, that's what my answer is. So, so be it. Um, It's the same with the value. I'm only, I, I, you know, I only will speak on experience. So I'll tell you based off my personal experience, I think this card is worth X. If you disagree and you think it's worth five times what, what it is, so be it. And, and, and more power to you, because if you're able to get that price, I was wrong. And I, I, I know I'm wrong in certain occasions and I'm more than yep. happy to admit that I'm wrong. Um, so I think one of the things that, you know, sets me apart is, you know, that I'm honest, like there's a lot of guys that, you know, 
you know, it's one thing to, you know, to give advice and it's other things to give advice for your own personal gain, you know, and there's people that are giving that advice. Oh, well, I sold this card for 75,000. Well, did it really sell for 75,000, you know, and it's reading in between those type of lines rather than, you know, just giving a factual answer, you know, cause you could always, you know, there's a lot of, especially when it comes to rare, there's a lot of he said, she said games, you know, when it comes to deals moving privately. So, you know, you just kind of have to, you know, read in between those lines and I'm happy to provide honest answers. Love it. Love it. Andrew, you got anything else? I do. Uh, and I'll wrap up with this, Nick, it was so good to connect with you, man. I appreciate yeah, you doing this. And I, if you listen to this guys, I would go back and re-listen because there's a lot of little nuggets. We've covered things very high level. But at the same time, if you have any questions, like Nick said, he dropped his handle. We'll post his handle. Reach out to him. He's available. Having an advisor has been maybe, not even maybe, it's been the best decision I've had. It's a confidant. Someone I could go to to bounce ideas off of. Ask, is this a good buy? Because honestly, what's made me the most money in this hobby isn't the buys I've made. It's the bad buys I've avoided. It's been the bad buys. And those have come an advisor where they said hey have you seen this or looked at this or my experience tells me that's not a good buy and i highly recommend nick sounds amazing thanks so a lot of sawing going on poor andrew he's uh, you know he's doing his stuff but we'll get this on up there for you and you know thank you andrew nick we appreciate it people are going to reach out to you because our you know, luca nation they they are uh you know they're inquisitive <laughs> and uh you know they're they're feeling their way on this so let me ask you i'll, I'll put you on the hot seat a little bit here if you were to kind of give our guys who are going to listen to this guidance just right off the top of your head from what you know, and it can be as, as simple as stay away from this sport or steer towards this sport because I see money going into football or, you know, you know, I, I would I would do this or that, you know, one little one little nugget if you got for me. Say back to kind of a point I was making. Look at mm -hmm. the wax. Look at the wax. wax. Not the modern wax. Don't don't look at the modern wax just because I. In a way, I just feel like you know, with with the mo with the modern trends of wax, like the prices have gotten so astronomical. As you kind of said before, like we were able to go to a show in like 2018 or 2019, mm -hmm. and you could buy boxes. You know, re let's say retail prism of 17 was you know 90 dollars a box yep. or so. You know, so you could buy products that were affordable and and most of that stuff most people tell you that's a mid-tier product it's not supposed to be an eight hundred thousand dollar box just the the demands there for them to charge that so just be mindful of that and even if you're seeing this you know all this wax that is um all this new wax that's trending at you know two thousand dollars a box well if you think the the wax boxes four years, you know, before that are better than what what's produced today, and the rookie class is better. Why not sink money into that rather than sinking money into something that potentially only has a, a downside to it? So I think that would be my advice: is just trying like to find, it. you know, trying to find things that people aren't looking at. You know, nobody's really telling you to go, you know, you know, to really. You know, they're telling you in some cases to bust product right now, which, you know, in, in some cases isn't your best play because you're better off buying the card than you are, you know, you know, ripping open a $5,000 case at this point. Beautiful. All right, Nick, we appreciate it. Luca Nation, thank you very, very much. And Andrew, we uh, do want a question and answer tomorrow. We're going to put up a little question and answer thing for folks. All right. So pay attention to that. Ask questions. Nick, don't ask me any questions because I don't know if I'm going to know the answer. You're very, you're very smart. I, I might not have, you can ask questions. I'm just playing. You ask whatever you like. Nick, we're thankful to have you on. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you guys. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick.
thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.